Welcome back to another episode of the Musa Musa podcast. Today in the studio, I have my friend Genius. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. You have a very excellent name. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone tells me that. <laughs> yeah. Who named you? Like, who exactly named me? Both. So I think. Yeah, with both parents? They both claim to name me that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, are your siblings named smart and intelligent? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, I'm from Nigeria, so in Nigeria we get names like wo- regular words. People's mm-hmm. name could be blessing, gift, fate. So uh, I'm genius. My brother is innocent. My sister is answer. Uh-huh. People like it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like feel like the name kind of also shapes their personality? Yes, it did. Because aside my indigenous name I also have an indigenous name which makes I mean which you could say means brilliance or mm-hmm. wisdom or something like that so the both I think I think I'm a genius yeah. <laughs> and your, your sibling who is innocent is also innocent no he's not innocent <laughs> <laughs> well but I think uh, we believe that names have a lot to do with personality but aside that anybody could be anything you know despite your name so that's why I personally believe as well mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you were mentioning like uh, just uh, last week you were in Rome to discuss the refugee crisis and uh, like was there, uh, what was the goal of the discussions there? Yeah, um, it was an exchange lab. It was funded by the European Union. Funded the people who carried it out is called New Women Connectors and UniRe, which is an organization that is based in Italy. And it's mainly an exchange lab to train people like me who advocating on the rights of refugees and migra- migrant rights. So the exchange lab is in three parts. The first part is in Rome, the second part will be in the Netherlands, and the third part will be in Belgium. And the aim is ma- mainly to introduce us on advocacy and how to carry out advocacy for the benefit of migrants. You know, migration is a very huge topic in Europe here, even in Sweden, where elections are coming up and one of the areas of discussion is migration. Some persons have some negative connotation about migration, but it shouldn't be. I mean, migration should be seen as a blessing, and that's where we come in as advocates, and to talk more about these things and make people understand and see how we can build um, a community for the progress of everyone. So that's mainly what the program was in Rome. Yeah, in recent, since I've been here in Sweden, the most focus in politics I've seen that the thing that divides people and divides different parties is mainly the question of immigration and refugees. But the thing is, it's weird that all of these refugee crises is the direct cause of European or like American uh, like nations, you know, like how they exploited uh, the Africa or Asia and Middle East and all the refugees that are coming from. Of course, one can say their native uh, people, their native pop, uh, population is corrupt or whatever, but that can be directly linked to colonization and exploitation. But yeah, nobody right. wants to... Nobody wants to talk about that. Nobody you know? wants to take responsibility. You know, um, there's also a, a, the place media plays a very role, uh, the role that could be seen by some to be, not the role the media should be playing. If you mention migration... Over here, people get to connote it to negativity or get to connote it with people who are taking our jobs or people who want to take our resources. They don't see the other parts of migration where these people are doing some jobs that you cannot do, where these people are bringing some expertise that you lack, the skilled labor. 
you're not talking about where these people are entrepreneurs creating wealth creating jobs these people are the reasons why you get the things you get um these parts of stories are not being told mm. and in advocacy we try to tell these stories so the stories that are being told could be the the few the um uh, just a few persons who happen to be of course the negative part of the society negative part of know influence of people i mean that exists in almost every aspect of life so but the stories of what migrants are doing for the positivity and the growth of the community is not being told as much as it should mm. so and that's an issue and also some persons have um, a very low sense of history so if you understand the history if you understand that the cause of migration the, i mean humans will always migrate but I mean, it's a, it's a very long and deep conversation that everyone should talk about, especially in Europe here. And now, of course, you also appreciate the fact that in, in you could say that European borders, to an extent, have been open to for migration, open to refugees, open to asylum, even though that there are some, you know, some pitfalls. But you still appreciate the fact that there is some open arms trying to welcome people. But the question is, how can we integrate people better and make these people stronger part of the system, stronger part of the society, to make more impact? Mm. So that's the major part of advocacy. Mm. Like going into like a more existential thing that I always think about this when we're talking about diversity and in, uh, in, hu in humans, whether it's cultural or ideological, political, is in the grand scheme of things. If you see how the earth is just like a tiny speck in a in like a desert like a huge desert and in this tiny speck there's still people fighting each other about different like just the color of your skin or your religious beliefs it's like seems very crazy i mean i mean you 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 wonder humans we've been able to develop the airplane flies up in the sky we've been able to explore science to this great level and still we fight over skin, skin color. Is, is yeah. that, that, that's more than funny. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that we still fight over, wow, your accent is different. Mm. <laughs> we still fight over. So it's crazy. You know, even this time, we have racism divided into different spares, subtle racism and direct racism. And it's crazy that people still, I mean, in this age and time, mm. this globalization and civilization that we're expressing it's well i think i think generally is um ignorance i blame it on ignorance or uh, being fed with a single story you know uh, i'm from nigeria and there's this author called timamanda adiche and she told something about she made she gave a TED talk about single story when people know just a story about a situation they tend to follow that for example um, i i came to sweden as an international student most international students in Sweden pay out of pocket to study here. Why Swiss study for free? They pay thousands of Swedish crowns, thousands of euros to, for studies, contributing to the Swedish economy, contributing to the growth of the environment. Why do they do that? They do that for mainly two reasons, to explore other opportunities and to grow. I mean, if you go to a different culture, you get to learn about more about people, you get to learn more about humans, you know, to seek for greener pastures. To contribute that's why someone will leave their country pay thousands of swedish crowns to study here to do that in uk or the us or 
Canada or somewhere else. But um, when I now uh, introduce myself as a migrant, the thing that comes to the mind of the ordinary citizen here would likely be migrant, you came from the sea, <laughs> or migrant, you came to take up from us yeah, asylum or yeah, asylum yeah, yeah yeah but that's not what migration means immigration is more, way more than that the issue is time for us to start telling the stories that make people see uh, i'm a migrant wow you are contributing to our environment to our community wow kudos to you wow you're welcome i mean that's where we should be we're not yet there but i think we'll soon be there we'll soon be there it's just for us to have more open minds and then the politics part of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the politics part of it is another interesting area. Yeah, I mean, uh, innovation basically happens when there's competition of ideas, when they're like competing ideas or new ideas coming. And you're not going to have new ideas if you're just living in a bubble, not inviting other people to contribute. Exactly, exactly, exactly the case. I mean, sometime last year, Swedish parliament passed a, um, a law called Aliens Art. You know, before now, you could, if you did a PhD in Sweden, you could automatically get a permanent residence after a PhD. But right now, that has been scrapped off. For you to live in Sweden, you need to, after a PhD, you did PhD four years, five years, three years. After five years, you still need to search for a job. If you don't get a job, you get out of the country. And um, even though that this could appeal to some political sections, but there's a great argument that Sweden might lose. How will Sweden lose if I've spent the last five years as a researcher in Sweden and suddenly I have to leave? For those who are coming over, they might not choose Sweden. Mm. They might choose because a place you spend five years, will, you will likely become your home. You wouldn't want to leave because you don't have a job or because you, you couldn't get a job within the space of one year. So people might not want to come here. And if there, is no, if there is no opportunity to explore knowledge, to find knowledge, diversity, inclusion, if there's no opportunity for people from all over the world to come here for research, then there will be no opportunity for the global growth that they, you know, Sweden needs. Mm. So um, aside the political appeal, there's need to look at migration from the true, its true nature, which is contribution to the growth of a society generally. I mean, the politicians failed to do so. Yeah. Maybe because of votes, because to appeal to the public mass or the ignorant population or something. I don't know. I'm not a politician, so... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I understand when it comes to refugees and stuff, you might have uh, think about, oh, we have to spend so much money on them. But uh, PhDs does, makes even less sense because they're contributing to, you know... Massively to, the, to knowledge, yeah. to the environment. To the mm. Well, I mean, if you meet a lawmaker who contributed to that, they'll give you 1,000 reasons why they did it. So there's always a reason. There's always a reason, but um, the thing is that everybody creates a reason why they do what they do, whether good or bad. Mm. But it's time for us to, you know, for, it's time for us to look over those sentimental reasons and talk about facts. Talk about, like I was having a chat with someone and it, I was surprised that someone thinks that a rise in crime is caused by migration. Mm. I was really surprised. This is somebody who is educated, not, I mean, this is not a regular person you think they are ignorant. Someone who is well-educated thinks that the rise in crime is because of migration. But that's wrong. Mm. The statistics doesn't support that. So how come you have that information? 
that the rise in, in drugs is because of migration. But that's not true. Look at the facts. Look at the statistics. That's not true. Even though that there are crime in migrant communities, of course, there are also crime in communities that are not migrant communities. So, I mean, it's, it's something education is the way, and advocacy is the that's why I'm very much involved in advocacy. Mm. So my second, I, I, I studied communication. I also work as a communication uh, specialist. And uh, outside my job, I try to do advocacy, physical advocacy, or <coughs> digital advocacy. I try to put up my time to advocate for these causes. Mm. Till we get it right. Till we make the world a better place. <laughs> <laughs> but it feels kind of scary with the the Swedish, uh, what do you call, the Sweden Democrats like becoming in power and then uh, they're really conservative when it comes to immigration and everything. I've been I've been two years in this country and I'm yet to understand the Swedish politics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've, I've tried so hard to understand mm-hmm. the Swedish politics. I did, I mean, like sometime this year or last year, two opposing ideologies agreed. To, to like, uh, how did you agree? Yeah. So I'm still yet to understand Swedish politics, so I don't usually talk about Swedish. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I've been here eight years, and I barely know. I only know like the surface level things, and then I'm mostly interested in Pakistani politics because people are actually very different there. While here, everything kind of generally, everyone generally believes the same thing. It's only small issues where they might disagree here and there. While uh, like uh, the left and right here are not very left, left and right, right extreme, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's true they're like center left and center right <laughs> well that's very funny and that's but that's interesting that mm-hmm. makes democracy beautiful here because mm-hmm. i think i also love it i mean uh, i was asking i asked i have a swedish friend i was like um why was the prime minister voted out why was there a vote of no uh, a vote of lack of uh, vote of confidence mm-hmm. no confidence on him why did he have to resign you know, I also asked, how come a new prime minister came after one week or two weeks she resigned or she was voted down? No, it's on the same day, actually. <laughs> same day. Same day. <laughs> okay, the same day. It was so funny. <laughs> so, so I couldn't understand that. Yeah. And then it was like, oh, the, the former prime minister left because there was a disagreement in house rent issues. So I said, how, house rent? my country we are talking about real issues yeah, you're talking about yeah, house rent yeah. <laughs> how does house rent really make a prime minister resign <laughs> yeah, i couldn't yeah, thought of that because yeah. there are bigger problems in yeah. the world <laughs> i'm like well um that's why the people trust the government here mm-hmm. i mean the issues are migration you know house rent <laughs> but in my country we have other bigger issues yeah. you know? we have other bigger issues that the pakistani prime minister was also just voted out by the no confidence vote and their reason was it was kind of like a conspiracy where the opposition parties bought members of the government and then they all voted against him. Their main reason was that uh, the rising uh, prices, like the economy wasn't doing well, things were getting expensive. And then as soon as the opposition came in power, things are like double expensive <laughs> now. <laughs> That's exactly the case in Nigeria. We had an election um, in 2015. And then the current president or the current party was more like a populist party. Wow, the dollar is rising. The things are so high. Why would you please vote out this government? And of course, we voted out the government. The, this government came and things are doubled. Yeah. <laughs> things are worse than. <laughs> I like. Okay, how are we gonna get these things right? <laughs> well, that's that's the politics. <laughs> if you can share some uh, history about Nigeria, like what has their politics been like, and 
when did it become independent and what was that like? Well, in Nigeria, we have a very long history. I mean, we, we were colonized by the Britain that kept us the way we are, I think so. We have that in common. <laughs> <laughs> right? Okay, we just stopped knocking right now. <laughs> okay. Then in 1960, we got independence. Um, because of the structure of what... Um, okay, let me not keep blaming the Britain, but of course, um, because of power tussle, because of the differences, you know, we, we were kind of a different people. Then Britain drew the map, put up anybody, drew the map any way they loved, created the countries the way they loved. So put up people with different cultural background together. Um, few years after we got independence, exactly six years after independence, the civil war started. Mm -hmm. And the civil war lasted for three years. Well, and what was the war about? Well, um, a part of the country wanted to secede from a new country. So the standing country, which is Nigeria, refused that mm. and then declared war and then there was genocide. This is in the 1966. The war was 1967 to 1970. So it was more like a genocide on this other part. So some countries choosing side, Britain with its own side, America choosing sides and then... But by 1970, the war ended and then the military kept in power, so we had military government for many years, some autocratic military dictatorships, and at some point we had a democratically elected government, but a military coup still took them away. But successfully, since 1999, Nigeria has had a stable democracy. So we've practiced democracy for about 24 years. Mm -hmm. uh, we're still a young democracy, but it's been progress, and the most Mass the, the the landmark of our democracy of the our recent democracy was in 2014. So the, in in 1999, the Nigerian democracy, the fourth republic, the latest democracy started with the government and there's power rotation. Um, you can be a president for every four years, but you can be reelected for another four years. So you have a maximum of eight years in power. Okay. So um, after eight years, some other person needs to come in power. And now there are different political parties. You have to be a political be in a political party to contest. So the ruling party in 1999 was in the government. In 2003, the next election, they won again. In 2007, they won again. And of course, you can argue that they win not free and fair elections. Mm. And in 2011, the ruling party won again. In 2000, then in 2015, People were fed up of Nigeria not progressing as we expected it to be. And for the first time, the ruling party lost the election. Mm. And the, a, sitting gov a sitting government was removed democratically. So that was a very big landmark in our democracy. Mm -hmm. And the general notion of this party was that they're corrupt and they're not very yes, they're uh, no efficient, com they're, competent. They're competent. And the 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 opposition. party that or yeah the opposition were they seen as a good guys or are they also corrupt and everything? Well, <laughs> well, um, that question is deep, but I think nobody cared about the opposition party, which was the mistake we made. Mm -hmm. They were like, we just need we to just get need rid to of, exactly yeah. we just need to get rid of this ruling party. They've been in power, so nobody paid attention to the opposition, and the opposition took advantage of that. Everybody was like, we don't need this current ruling party. Just give us anything, mm. except this ruling party. Then the opposition took advantage of it. The opposition, five political parties came together, formed one party, formed a coalition, 
chose one of the popular guys who was a former military head of state. Mm. Nobody paid attention. Someone who, during when he, he, he once carried out a military coup and he had a bad record. But nobody paid attention. Mm. But because of just anything than this ruling party, people massively voted for the opposition and the opposition won election. And then the ruling party congratulated the opposition. So that act was very um, significant for our democracy. And then power moved smoothly mm. to the opposition for the first time in our history. Smooth power transition from the ruling party. That was in 2015. Then the ruling party took over, and the ruling party for seven years have been complaining. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Things have gotten, when it comes to economically, economically speaking, things are more expensive, you know. Things that, things you could afford, some 10 years ago, you are mm. poorer now, and it's, it's crazy. So our next day is another election, and um, we are looking forward to doing that thing again, removing the ruling party. But the ruling party is not showing commitment mm. to democratic values. And that is very, because if you follow Nigerian news, you, you must have heard of NSAS. NSAS. Yes. Okay. But NSAS was a protest that happened in Nigeria in 2020 where people were protesting against this government. Okay. Protesting and this is the opposition party. That yeah. became the ruling party. Mm -hmm. They are now the ruling party. Yeah, yeah. So they are no and longer the, the guy, the cool guy is still in power. Yes, mm -hmm. yes, he's still in power. So his name is President uh, Muhammad Buhari. That's okay. my president. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, in 2020, Nigerians uh, protested against police brutality, just like the Black Lives Matter movement. We had an NSAS protest in Nigeria, a very massive protest, the biggest protest we've seen in recent years. But in response, the current administration sent military. And military did what they do. Mm -hmm. They opened fire. It was brutal. I mean, it was like um, things w something we've not seen for a long time. So it's killed the spirit of so many young Nigerians protesting for good governance. So people are actually scared to protest. But it's unfortunate. And next day is election, and people are like, will this party really commit to free and fair election? But at the end of the day, he's still the friends of the West. He's still a very good friend to the West. <laughs> but, but I mean, politics is something deep. I mean, I, I just completed my master's thesis, and my thesis was on these cases. I wrote a thesis. My thesis is titled 222 Days of Platform Lockdown. 222 Days of Platform Lockdown. And I researched about circumvention culture, digital activism, and internet censorship. For the first time in Nigerian history, there was an outright platform lockdown. This same government banned Twitter. Mm. So Twitter was banned in Nigeria for about eight months. Mm. For the first time, a platform being outrightly banned because Twitter supported, uh, more like this, Twitter, Twitter CEO supported the NSAS movement. And also Twitter was more like a platform where people organized this protest. Mm. So he banned Twitter. But uh, banning Twitter has also a, a, a another wider history <laughs> itself. I mean, <laughs> so many things are going on to this. Uh, in 2020, in 2020, there was NSAS protest. Twitter, the then CEO of Twitter, Jack, Jack Dorsey. Jack Dorsey, yeah. Yeah, he supported the protest by donating bitcoins, some cryptocurrency, mm -hmm. and also Twitter was the platform where people organized, mobilized for this movement. 
and it was all to ask for good governance. And he clamped down on NSAS protests. Then in 2021, the president was um, addressing criminality in in a sat in certain part of the country. Mm -hmm. You remember I, I told you about the civil war that yeah, happened yeah. in 1967. Mm -hmm. Now this civil war was between uh, the defunct republic called Biafra and Nigerian government. So and there different ethnic ethnic, ethnic groups? groups yes mm -hmm. so the biafran is are uh, the majorly the Igbo ethnic groups although they have also other ethnic groups like the fik the bbo the just but majorly they are the Igbos. now the president is from the other op opposing ethnic group so the there, then there was some sort of criminality in this Igbo region as of 2021 because people are still agitating for their own country mm -hmm. so currently some people are still agitating just some persons so there was some criminality. Then the president wanted to address that. But he, in his address, he said he's going to treat them the same way they were treated during the Civil War. Mm. So people were like, the way they were treated during the Civil War was a genocide. The president is threatening genocide to a section of the country. Mm. And as a president, he shouldn't do that. So he made this in tweets. Then people reported the tweets, and Twitter <coughs> removed the tweets. So Twitter deleted the tweet and disabled his account mm. for 12 hours. In response, the next day, Twitter was banned. <laughs> 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 so Twitter was banned the next day. <laughs> and then it was like, what the hell? <laughs> I don't mind my language. <laughs> so people were like protesting against that. But one thing that made me research about this was it's not ab about the impact of Twitter ban or so many other researchers talked about the impact of Twitter ban, but my thesis focused on the fact that when Twitter was banned, people kept using Twitter. I mean, ordinarily, if you if you're in Nigeria, you cannot access Twitter with your phone. I mean, if you try the service providers, you can't just access Twitter. Mm. They banned it right from the internet space. But people were tweeting, mm. so I wondered how were people tweeting, and what is the implication of people tweeting despite the ban. And um, that led me to researching about circumvention culture. So I researched about how Nigerians circumvented Twitter ban, the implications of that as a cultural phenomenon, as a media culture, what is the implication to the Nigerian space ecosystem or the media ecosystem generally. And also I tried to answer the question, when people circumvent, is it a form of protest? I mean, Twitter was banned, but people were still using Twitter. So was it a form of protest? So I tried to answer those questions in my research, and I, I had some interesting uh, observations, some inter interesting findings. For example, people circumvented through three means. Uh, one is technology, the use of VPN mm. or prosy setting, or you know some you know, digital technologies. That's how they circumvent. Then I also found out interestingly that there were some more like um, another group of persons when Twitter was banned, they couldn't access Twitter. What they now did is to jump platform, they started using Instagram mm -hmm. or started using Facebook alone. So I call that platform jumping. So when people jump platform and still be doing what they do on Twitter, that is platform jumping. It's also a form of circumvention. And now there is a third set of people who also did not use Twitter, neither did they use other platforms. So we call this self-censorship. So mostly people who do this are those who are in agreement with the government. Mm -hmm. Definitely, there were those who supported the government banning Twitter. And they decided, because they're in support of the government, they decided to self-censor themselves. 
So we are, I also saw that as a form of circumvention. So self-censorship. So in my findings, I found out that there are three different circumventions that people engage in. Technology use, platform jumping, and self-censorship. I then asked, or I tried to answer, is this a form of digital activism? Mm -hmm. When people use VPN, are they trying to protest mm -hmm. to say, I'm not going to respect this law, I'm not going to respect this rule, or they are just doing it for, to, for normal pleasure of using Twitter? So my findings were quite interesting too. I mean, some actually do it for as a form of protest. Oh, because you banned this, we're still gonna use it. Mm. They kept protesting by tweeting, tweeting anything they want to tweet. So and also in my research, I was in Nigeria to do this research. I also decided to interview for a diplomats, foreigners who are in Nigeria but are not Nigerians. Mm. So I, I, I wrote to embassies. For example, I interviewed the Swedish embassy in Abuja, Nigeria. And I spoke with the embassy, and my findings were quite interesting. For example, the Swedish embassy said they don't need to circumvent because even though they're in Nigeria, their internet infrastructure is connected to Stockholm. Uh -huh. So they, don't, they didn't need to. So whether it was bad or not, they could still tweet. Mm. And they said, oh, moreover, the democracy and they believe in freedom of speech, so they kept tweeting. Uh, it was interesting findings for, for me, you know. Mm. And comparing the Nigerian situation with the larger um, ecosystem of media, censorship, internet censorship. How is the situation of media? Are they free or are they heavily influenced by the state and the government? No, media is free. Mm. Media, is, media is relatively free. The influence by the government is the same influence you'll find anywhere, where maybe the government sponsors mm. some... Engagement in the media. Maybe some news channels lean yes. towards the government. Yeah, some yes, moment. some don't. So, but generally, it's a free media. Generally, it's a free media. The only time that the government, this government, try to influence the media heavily is by putting up rules. Um, there are so many rules that have been put up by the... There is a National Broadcasting Commission that regulates broadcasting. So they put up rules like, we're doing this podcast, there are things we cannot say. So if you say it, they come and arrest you. So, mm -hmm. so they put up those rules and they add it as part of the broadcasting codes. So that's how they try to limit. But aside that, people tweet what they want to tweet or yeah, social media. Yeah, I mean, yeah. internet is the best thing mm -hmm. that happened to us. Yeah. <laughs> so anybody can still, I think, with internet, you can do whatever. And there's so many loopholes, you cannot find who is tweeting. You can't, you yeah. can't. Even if you try to clamp down on the internet, it's, it's difficult. Mm really difficult anybody could be anywhere in the world and with vpn i could be anywhere in the world too yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's weird that because i think the first influence of um of internet in a uh in like a revolution or in a protest we saw in the arab spring that's when it first started and then i think people ha start to have this notion that internet is like a human right and it's like it's it's a form of freedom, you know. Yes, Everybody should deserve freedom. It is, and then it should have access. But then I now recently, as as you were saying in Nigeria, they've banned Twitter, and also I've seen examples in Pakistan where, even though these uh, these platforms like YouTube and Twitter and whatever, they're not based on the it's those countries. They're based in America, but the country can still block them for some reason. Uh, this like seems kind of crazy. Like uh, a few years ago, Pakistan banned YouTube and it was like banned for a few years now. And then people like still like uh, found loopholes and VPNs or whatever. But it's still like the government shouldn't have this access or this right to just block this Internet platform. Well, I, I think the government should. 
Mm-hmm. But um, it should be in the ca- accordance to democratic principles. Now, um, even though that we want a free world, but we should know that there's nothing like absolute freedom. So, um, I mean, people, some people have fears that these internet giants are becoming too powerful. Mm. Just imagine that your whole life in a week is being coordinated by maybe four companies. Google, Amazon, Apple, Microsoft. Your whole life, you, you, you want to send a message, you're either doing it through Google or you're doing it through Amazon. You want to go to a, a website, your, the hosting website is, the, is Amazon. You want to shop Amazon. You want to send an email. Google, you want to find out information, Google search. You want to, you find out the gadget you're using, iPhone. You find out only four companies mm. control your freedom when it comes to liberty, to speech, to this. But I, I think there's need for government regulation like the way we see in European Union, European Union implements so many like the GDPR, data mm, protection, mm. The, the moderating use of algorithms. So I think um, it's important. But doing that without some democratic standing is wrong. Yep. Like the president banning Twitter because his tweet was deleted. <laughs> I mean, banning Twitter for the whole nation because his tweet, that's like ego war. I mean, his personal ego. Yeah. But if, if there is an opportunity for that decision to be voted by members of the parliament, and then they all resolve to ban Twitter, then that's democracy. Mm-hmm. Then that's majority speaking. But when he woke up one day and like, you banned my tweet, I'm gonna ban you. Yeah, <laughs> then yeah, then yeah. that doesn't make, then yeah. that's autocratic. That, 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 that is no longer democracy. So I think there should be some sort of regulation to protect citizens, but it has to be on democratic standing. Mm-hmm. That's my thoughts. I don't think there should be absolute freedom because absolute freedom is dangerous. Yeah, yeah, that's true. When, when you give people the absolute freedom, they abuse it. Mm. And um, I mean, in every case. So, mm. But then I'm also thinking, like, shouldn't the people have the, the choice to choose whether they want to use it or not? Let's take the example of cigarettes, for example. Obviously, there's nothing good that comes to cigarettes, but government still allows for people to choose whether they want to smoke or not. Can we just have that through the internet, just let people choose whether how they want to use it? Exactly, but that's where democracy comes in, allowing people to choose. Mm. Now, depending the region or the country, the democracy they practice, for example, we practice in, in such a way, we practice a fusion of American and British system where we have parliaments and we vote the parliamentarians into office and they make decisions on our behalf. Mm. So if we have actually voted some parliamentarians and they vote that this should be done, mm. then that's my decision. Mm. But if they vote against it, that's also my decision. Yeah, yeah. And if I don't like what they voted for, I can now vote them out, mm. even though that's very difficult. <laughs> you know? So, but, but Twitter was finally unbanned um, um, for after eight months, I mean, two, two, two days. So that's why it's obvious it has to do with the president's ego. It has nothing to do with security, national security or protection of citizens' yeah, yeah. interest or anything. It's just his ego. And um, he also had he had some beef with Twitter regarding the NSAS mm-hmm. <laughs> protest. So he wanted to settle his beef. <laughs> but people are also afraid that that will encourage him to ban other platforms. Mm. And, um, you know, these politicians, they have the military power, the policing power, and um, they, they abuse it. They think the power will always remain. But I think the current president is dawning on him that he's leaving. He has less than eight months in office. Mm. And it's, it's dawning on him that, wow, by February next year, I'm not going to be president. 
and I'm going to retire. But he's an old man, so he just goes back to his community and retire. Mm. So um, back to your question, I think there should be regulation, but it should be on the principles of democracy. Yeah. That's just my, my thoughts mm. on internet regulation. Unlike, not the Russian kind of democracy. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, the during this issue of Ukraine-Russia, Russia just... Putin just wake up and he bans yeah, Facebook, I mean, bans Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> that's basically dictatorship. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, that's quoted yeah. in the term of democracy. Yeah. That, that's not democratic at all. But it's weird that, um, like, out of all the people in a country, why do we always choose corrupt people to become our leaders? Is it that the power corrupts them, or is it that they're already corrupted, and when they come into power, it just comes out because they can abuse that power now? Well, um, I think there are so many factors, mm. and each society is different. So I will talk about the Nigerian society. Now, there's next day is our election. Election is 2023. We have three major contestants in the election for next year. The, f- uh, the person from the ruling party, APC in Nigeria, his name is Tunibu, very popular. The second person is from the, uh, other, the former ruling party who is now opposition, his name is Atiku. And the third person is the youngest among them, who is name, whose name is Peter, Peter mm-hmm. B. And Peter B, he was formerly a governor, more like a mayor mm-hmm. to a smaller state. And he has evidences of good governance, mm-hmm. evidences of knowing what should be priority in governance. He is tested and trusted. And now we have these other guys from the ruling party and the former ruling party. Yeah, yeah. These are people on FBI list. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not joking. I'm not trying to. I'm not exaggerating. Tunibu has article. These are people who have corruption cases, like <laughs> corruption cases on them. These are people who nobody knows their source of their wealth, but they are very, very wealthy. Mm. These are people who you could. If you, if you check out their history, you will see lots of inconsistency in terms of uh, the, a good governance, um, a sincerity, competence. There are lots of inconsistency in their political history. It's very clear. But do you know that these people have massive support? <laughs> massive, when I mean massive grassroots support. And now there's this other person who is also a strong contender. The youths are supporting him. Like every young person is likely supporting him. Mm. Any young person that is not supporting this person is either supporting these other people for personal interests or because they are from their region, because there's also ethnic politics Mm. where people support people from their region. So it's also a problem. So you now ask why. Why would someone be supporting this 80-year-old man whose political history has a lot of inconsistency? Why would people be supporting Atiku or Tinibu instead of Pitobi, who is just... um, 60 plus, and who has good track record, when I mean verifiable track record. And then you ask why. Then the, the answer boils down to lots of factors. One is education. You find out that in Nigeria, we are over 200 million people. And Nigeria is still very high in illiteracy. And uh, this has a lot to do with religious reasons and cultural reasons. You also see case of um, poverty, where, I mean, we're over 200 million people. 
where 100 million people are rich. That's a lot of people. But 100 million are poor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you, you, and you, you have an election. You find out these poor people, if you give them as little as 100 crown, they'll vote whoever you ask them to vote. Mm. So you see cases of vote buying. You see cases during election, people are sharing food, sharing bags of rice, or you know, so, sorts of things to buy votes. Instead of telling us, this is what I will do, this is what I will not do. So education, illiteracy, poverty, I mean, there are so many factors. That's why people elect bad leaders. That's on one part. Then on, on the other part, um, you also have to consider the fact that, okay, let's talk about the societies like you know, Europe, European societies. You elect someone and they turn to be bad leaders, it could be because they were not prepared. Also, they had a wrong notion of what it's going to be. Maybe they were all good. But then when they reached the uh, political cycle, they found out that there are lots of things to compromise on. Mm. For you to have your way, you have to compromise. For this to happen, you have to compromise. And when all these compromises come together, it becomes bad governance. Mm. So that's another thing. Another one, like you mentioned, power corrupts. And absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, there are so many factors. There are so many factors. But that doesn't mean that um, good governance is not possible. If someone is competent, even if, um, let's say, they are targeting to reach the, the moon, even if they don't land in the moon, they land in the stars. So if someone is competent, that's priority. That should be the thing that takes people to power. They might not be the best. They might not be, I mean, they might not be savior. But if someone is competent, they achieve a greater level of good governance. Mm -hmm. But when the competency is not there, then, I mean, in Nigerian politics currently, you ask this guy, why do you want to be president? He said, it's my turn. I've been in the political <laughs> circle for a long time. I, like, wh what is that? Yeah. How is that your turn? Then I'm also in Nigeria. When is it going to be my turn? <laughs> then I'm like, and then you see somebody supporting this one. I'm like, how? <laughs> I mean, like, how do you support this person? You ask this person, why do you want to be a president? He said, it's my turn. <laughs> then, I mean, and this other person, why do you want to be president? He's giving you that we need to turn Nigeria from consumption to production. Mm -hmm. We need to turn Nigeria from a consuming nation to a producing nation. We have this. This place is showing you the problem and the solution. <laughs> so, so I like. Well, we are, we are fighting to make sure that um, uh, my country becomes a better place. Even though we're in diaspora, we're also contributing our quota, taking our advocacy down to Nigeria for people to vote, vote credibly. If you have, if you have conviction in a candidate, and you see that this candidate is competent, vote, support, campaign. It's all our jobs, you know? I mean, it's everybody's business. There's nobody that will say politics is not their business, even though you might not be a politician or in the political circle. But politics is everyone's business. Yeah, I don't li uh, like when people say, hey, I'm not interested in politics, but you're paying taxes. You're paying, I mean, yeah. I mean every decision affects you. Yeah, so yeah. you have to be. You're paying rent and you're traveling outside. Everything is connected. You have to be. You have mm -hmm. to be. I mean, it's, it's just like saying, I'm not interested in my life. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, exactly. Why would you say so? And some other person is controlling your life, determining what, you, what is right for you, what is not right for you, where to go and where you not to go, where you're banned and where... I mean, you should be part of that decision-making process. So that's also what I try to tell my fellow Nigerians and anybody. I mean, in the, uh, uh, last year, I was a youth delegate in World Forum for Democracy in France and um, to discuss, of course, democracy. But this time around, we went to discuss... Um, how democracy can help environment. 
because we believe that even though we know that we need to protect our environment, democracy plays a big role in achieving this. So as a youth delegate there, I mean, let me tell you something now. We went to France, and that was in November last year, for World Forum for Democracy. But in World Forum for Democracy, all I saw was European Forum for Democracy. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is World Forum for Democracy, but it's European Forum for Democracy in reality. <laughs> so we found out that actually, you know, we might not achieve the change we need by that, if we follow up that pattern. That also takes us to the issues of refugee, migration, the discussions on this, the climate justice and the rest. I mean, we, we need more multilateralism. We need more cohesion among people, among nations, among good people to achieve good governance, whether mm -hmm. in a nation or globally. Good people must come together. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't say what Forum for Democracy and is the River Forum for Democracy, yeah, yeah. if you know what I mean. <laughs> well, I mean, so good people should not say, well, I don't care about politics. Well, I don't know. Everybody should be involved. Mm -hmm. That's what I think. Yeah, yeah. Now, if you look at different forms of governing a state whether it's a dictatorship or a democracy or whatever like i believe that maybe democracy is not the perfect thing we have but maybe it's the the best we've got so far but i don't like the i don't like that there's only one person in charge who's at the head of course maybe you can have a head of a state but who's only like as a representative like when you go to like different summits or go to different countries to represent, you know, as an ambassador. But to have a just one person who has all this power, that doesn't seem right. Well, I like the American democracy. Mm -hmm. I wish that my country, Nigeria, can just adopt the American style. Where even though there, there is um, the federal powers, the federal engagement, there is also regional and state mm -hmm. commitments and powers, and they are quite strong. For example, uh, the American C uh, Supreme Court just passed about this abortion rights issue yeah. that have been trending, and um, they said that each state could also could now make laws mm. on abortion. Mm. So state A might decide no abortion. State B says abortion. Mm. I mean, that is absolute, that is good democracy. Yeah. Where even if the federal government has this reality, it might not be the same reality with the people here. They have a choice. So it gives that sharing and collective use of power. Mm. And I think I love that kind of democracy. I mean, where the federal has absolute power could be foreign policy. But when it comes to the affairs of internal affairs, every region or state matters. But although that the American is either you are red or you are blue. Yeah. <laughs> they are left or you are right. Yeah. I mean, but that's discussion for another day. But I love generally the, the, the system. Um, the truth is this, democracy might not be the best form of government, but there is no better yeah, one. Yeah. Democracy is the only one that gives us, gives you, anybody, the opportunity to become somebody. Democracy is the only um, government that gives <coughs> you the opportunity to have a voice. Even though that I've seen people argue that the voices in democracy are not quality voices, that because everybody is contributing, people who you might say they are lunatics are also contributing. Mm. And they are causing problems. So people use that as a form of argument against democracy. But I think that there are always uh, more people who are good, yeah. more people who are who knows what is good, who knows what is better than the minority. But it's just that the problem we're having in most, especially young democracies like us, like Nigerian democracy, we are pretty young, 24 years. The problem we're having is that 
we are allowing the good people or the people who are educated or the people who understand what God, good governance is, are allowing the people who are not that exposed to make the decision. Mm. You find out that in a community in Nigeria, a community of 100,000 persons, 60,000 are educated, 40,000 are not educated, but number of voters are 30,000. And they are all the non-educated. Yeah. <laughs> so so, so, so and then then what will be the outcome? So that's why the when it comes to democracy, when it comes to politics, my campaign that's channeled towards Nigeria is everybody must put their hands on deck. We must all be politicians. <laughs> we all have to be politicians. Mm. I mean that's 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 just the way for <clears throat> us to progress. Yeah. So you've seen both like the European Swedish side of democracy and governance and you've seen the Nigerian. If I, if you had to like say, is there anything that the European or Swedish governance can learn from Nigeria or is there anything that like uh, what can uh, Nigeria learn from them? Well, um, I think it's quite a difficult uh, question because our problems are totally different. Yeah. <laughs> so the problems in Sweden is totally different from the problems in Nigeria. And um, the kind of democracy that is practiced here is also different. Where, um, where uh, the Swedish democracy is moved a lot by ideology and uh, by common limits and common goal, but Nigerian democracy is moved by power. It's either you empower or you're not in power. It is not often moved by ideology. So you find the, the ruling party and the opposition party. And you cannot say that the ruling party, they are right or left they are everywhere yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they are everywhere based on need and based on the situation and based so it's not moved by ideology so making it a bit different to and a bit difficult you know sweden is a a homogeneous state everyone is a swede or everyone speaks swedish yeah. but in nigeria we have 600 languages over 300 ethnic groups mm. so you find out that um you can't just we're a country of 200 million people it's a country of 10 million people I mean, just a state in Nigeria is the whole of Sweden. <laughs> so, but generally, what to learn from democracy is the the respect and the power of the people. I mean, we could learn that from learn that from Sweden. The respect to the institution, at least if any day a, a president in Nigeria resigns or a, a governor, mayor, or as you may call it, resigns in Nigeria know that our democracy is strong. They mm. never resign. Yeah. <laughs> Even if you catch them cheating, yeah. they, they don't yeah. resign. <laughs> they hold on to power. They never resign. Yeah. But I mean, you look at Sweden, because he doesn't agree with the policies, resignation happens everywhere. Mm. So these are things we should learn, that there is power in the people. If the people disagree, then it's going to have an effect. So we just need to know how to harness that among our own democracies, threaten it, we put the president in power, we put the governors in power, the legislators, we put them in power. So the people need to learn that they have more power. And if they can use that power, they're gonna, they, they will just take over. They will be the people dictating how governance will be. Mm. That's one thing we should learn from European democracy or from the Swedish democracy. And on the other hand, Sweden, Sweden should learn that there are, there are more problems in the world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are many problems in the world, and of course, um, to specifically to the Nigerian politics, the kind of politics we 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 have, they, they should come and learn how to integrate better. 
I mean, despite that in Nigeria there is agitations, there is um, s- um, some feelings of segregation or marginalization rather in some part of the country. Some part of the country feel that they not being recognized. For example, now um, in currently in Nigeria, the president is from the northern part of Nigeria, mm-hmm. and in his Security Council, there is nobody from the eastern part of Nigeria. Mm-hmm. He selected only people from the north. Yeah. And in an interview, asked him why. He said those are the people he trusts. Maybe that could be private personal reason, but that doesn't threaten cohesion. That doesn't threaten unity. That doesn't threaten. So, but aside such cases, I think um, Nigeria is a good case to learn how to make people who are diverse, culturally and otherwise, come together. Especially in Sweden, that in Sweden, when it comes to migration, you find out that in some areas. It seems that these areas are just migrant settlements. And this area, I, I, I told someone I, I live in Naka. Mm-hmm. So, wow, you live in Naka and you're a migrant. <laughs> I'm like, mm-hmm. what does that mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what does that mean? You know, Naka should be white and Naka should be yeah. affluent Swedes. So, that kind of a thing. There's, there's need for more integration. Yeah. And you can learn this from people who are heterogeneous, like Nigeria or countries who have more diverse population. Maybe that's one of the reasons is why they're not so welcoming of refugees is because in Nigeria or in Pakistan, we are so many different languages, cultures and ethnic groups that we're used to seeing people and welcoming people from other that are uh, different from yes. us. While here, is, as you said, they're all just Swedes. And when you see something different, they're like, oh, it's, <laughs> you know, it's hard accepting them. They should learn from us. <laughs> As I said, there is something always like we can learn from each other, whether yeah, it's definitely. good or bad. Yeah, definitely. I know you have to go. So uh, just last question, since you just completed your master's, what are your goals in the future? Do you plan on staying in Sweden long term or uh, do you plan on running for president? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, um, I, everybody asks me this question. Now you've completed your master's, what next? You know, I'm, I'm part of the uh, lucky persons, I would say. Um, I, while I was in Nigeria, I was working for an organization called Sandstones, and they were working for Google. So we did, we handled the Google project called Google Digital Skills for Africa. So I was working for Google for about two, three years. And then in 2020, the pandemic happened. Mm. And, but before then, I, I knew I, I wanted to study abroad, uh, widen more and explore more. I applied to Sweden. And I applied, and I forgot that I applied to Sweden. <laughs> <laughs> then in February 2020, unfortunately, Google shut down operations in Nigeria because of the pandemic. So I was temporarily out of a job. It was like, what next now? As of that February, Nigeria wasn't feeling the pandemic. Everyone was still, things were going as normal as mm. it should be, as, as it was before the pandemic. But in April, the country went on lockdown, total lockdown. It was a time to reflect. Google was not, we are not working for Google anymore. The, the Google job was not happening. We are on half salaries and so like, what next? Then on my birthday, the Swedish government sent me a message. Mm. Hey, genius, you've been awarded a scholarship. Come over to Sweden. <laughs> so thanks to the Swedish government, you know. Yeah. So the Swedish government sponsored me, everything, you know, brought me to Sweden. In the midst of the pandemic, I joined the evacuation flight to Sweden, and I've been here for the past two years. And at first, I didn't like here. Yeah, it was too cold. My first winter—you can imagine how yeah. it was. <laughs> no friends or family here. 
And then, but with time, I started loving here. I have so many uh, sweets as friends. Started, started loving the people, even though they are colder than Nigerians. And um, and I love it here. I, I think I love it here. But I'm young and I have a lot of work to do in the world. Mm. So um, even though that Sweden sponsored my master's program because I was here on a scholarship, fully funded, um, I have gratitude to the Swedish government and the Swedish people. But um, my contribution to the world is to the Sweden and Nigeria mm. and the globe. Mm. So that means um, I finished my master's program in June and we're still in June. I finished on 3rd June. So this is like, 20 days or yeah, <laughs> 20 yeah. something days after my master's program. My next move is to go more into advocacy, deeper into advocacy. Uh, I have interest in development communication. I did a master's in uh, media communication and cultural analysis. So I'll go more into development communications, working with mainly NGOs, international organizations. That's my plan. And I'm not limiting myself to a place. Uh, I, 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 like I said, I'm young, I'm not married, I don't have kids, so I can wake up tomorrow and say, okay, tomorrow I need to be in Afghanistan. I'll go there. Mm. Next tomorrow, okay, Nigeria. And I'll move there. Mm. <laughs> or next tomorrow, America. And I'll move yeah. there. So, so I, I'm exploring every opportunity, yep. contributing as much as I can. I, I do freelance currently, managing some um, uh, digital communications for some organizations, social media and the rest. And aside that, you know, I also have a social enterprise I run in Nigeria. Trying to, we, we, we mainly work with international partners like Google or like Technovation, and we teach girls how to develop mobile apps, solve mm. some community challenges using digital communications or technologies. So I have a social enterprise I run in Nigeria, even though I'm not in Nigeria. And you know, there are so many things we're doing at the same time. And um, for money. The, this social enterprise is not really for money, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For money, I do freelance, manage for organizations, manage platforms. I've done consultancy for people like WFD, Westminster Foundation for Democracy. That's a UK public body. So did some communication consultancy. You know, here and there for NGO, IFF, yeah. like organizations. Organizations that are involved in development, environment, democracy. I work with them. Communications mainly for money and for advocacy. I, I married the boat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I married the business with the course. <laughs> and that makes it more interesting. Mm. So the next plan is to keep on doing that and do it better. So as for Sweden, Sweden will always be a home. I mean, Sweden has contributed to my life. So it will always be a home. Mm. I might live here, I might not live here, but it's always a home. So that's the next move. <laughs> nice. Good luck to you for your future. And thank you so much for coming today. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I'm happy being in this podcast. And I hope to come again. <laughs> yeah, definitely. definitely. <laughs> uh, thank you for listening. Peace be upon you all. Bye-bye.